We are studying Hebrews chapter 8. Welcome to another week of study here on the Radio Bible Course. We have been considering the opening verses in Hebrews chapter 8, where the author, in his desire to convince those Jewish believers of the superiority of their eternal priest, Jesus Christ, proclaims him to be in heaven. Not only that, but that Christ, as a priest appointed by God, is at the right hand of heaven's authority and is serving in the true tabernacle, the one made by God. I think that would have made an impact on those Christians who were thinking of going back to Judaism and again giving honor to the priesthood and the activities of the Jewish religion. So he tells them in the opening of this chapter that Jesus Christ is up there. In verse 5, he refers to it as the heavenly sanctuary. In contrast, he refers to the activity of the Aaronic priest in the earthly tabernacle as a copy and shadow of the heavenly. In chapter 10, verse 1, he again uses the word shadow, and in much the same sense he wrote, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it could not make men perfect. As we consider the religion of Old Testament Judaism, we see that the Jews were occupied with shadows. Those who believe in Christ, however, and understand that God has annulled that Old Testament religion with its laws and rituals, such people are not dealing with shadows. They have come to the reality. The Christian's faith was not intended to be another shadow religion. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is a personal union with our high priest in the true sanctuary where God is. And those who have come to true faith in Jesus Christ can say, We are the circumcision, who worship God in the Spirit and have no confidence in the flesh and glory in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. The Christian faith it can be said, is not concerned with things. It focuses on a person. It is not going to church. It is instead recognizing that we who trust in him alone are the church. It does not view a building as a house of God. Instead, it agrees with the inspired word that my body is the dwelling of God, his temple. Now beware of shadows. Shadows introduce formalism, and formalism is deadly in Christianity. It kills what the Spirit of God wants to do with new creatures in Christ. It makes zombies out of spirit-born babes in Christ. Your church may have a cross on the building, but no cross in its message. Urge them, if that be the case, to take down the cross if it isn't being preached as the only way to God. We ought to remove that symbol of hypocrisy. The cross on a building 
may be deceitful. Visitors have a right to assume that what is displayed outside will be heard inside. Is this important? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 that the message of the cross was the heart of his message. Listen to what he said in chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, what was Paul's message? The cross. That's the message. That's what he preached. And that's what people laughed at. It was nonsense, they said. How could a beaten and bloody Jew who was crucified on that tree save anybody? He couldn't save himself. Why, even his own people rejected him. So to proclaim that he is the way to God is pure nonsense. Well, that was God's plan. That was God's wisdom. Now, Christ has brought us something better than shadows. Listen to verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. Well, he wants to emphasize here that Christ has brought us something better than what the priest had in the Old Testament, or what Judaism had, I should say. Christ's ministry is better because his covenant is better. Why? Well, he says because of better promises. Now, how can God's promise now be better than God's promise 3,000 years ago? The law's promises were dependent upon man's obedience. You were blessed if you kept the law under the old covenant, and if you didn't, you were cursed. But the promises to the Christian do not depend upon merit. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our efforts, and we are blessed as we believe in Jesus Christ, whether we deserve it or not. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. Now, after salvation, we continue to be blessed under grace in spite of our failings. That's because we have a Savior priest who did everything for us. He kept the law. He suffered for us. He died for us. He paid for my sins. And the good news is that God is satisfied. That's the meaning of the word propitiation. Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, there's a second reason why the Old Covenant is inferior to the New. Paul gives it in Romans chapter 8, verse 2 and following. He writes, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, additionally, Paul in Galatians 3.21 wrote this, For if a law had been given which could make alive, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. God's prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament wrote, The just shall live by faith. The law covenant, however, isn't concerned with faith. It doesn't tell man to believe something. It tells him to do something. And so there are over 600 laws that are part of that covenant. Now, the writer tells us that Jesus Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old, that is, the old priesthood, as the covenant he mediates is better than what? Better than the old covenant. Now, if you have a better covenant, why would you ever want to consider living by the inferior covenant? That doesn't make sense. But most Christians today, I'm afraid, are very much concerned with that old covenant. They somehow can't see that they have a better covenant. And perhaps the reason is there is not enough Bible teaching. I mean Bible teaching verse by verse so that people will come away from church with an understanding of what God has done through Christ. Shouldn't people who go to church expect to hear the Word of God? When I visit a church, if I don't hear the Word of God, I don't go back. I expect not to hear a man speaking, but to hear a man speaking God's Word and explaining it and exhorting the believers from that Word of God. Is it more important that we hear God or that we hear a man? Well, you know the answer. Now let's move on to verse 7. The Old Testament is cited here to support the idea that the Old Covenant was considered temporary and would be replaced by a new covenant. Listen to it again. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. As early as the 6th century B.C., Jeremiah prophesied for God that something better was on its way. 
The fact that a new covenant was planned by God is one of the strongest reasons known for abolishing the old. When we today try to live by the Mosaic law, or call it the Mosaic covenant, or the covenant made at Mount Sinai, we are interfering with God's plan for something better. Now that's spiritual anarchy. The essence of faith is acceptance of God's way, and the Old Testament is no longer God's way of administering his people. Now listen to verses 8 through 10. Now we need to be very practical as we read verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. And being practical means asking a few simple questions. Was the first covenant faultless? No, it wasn't. Was a second covenant established? Yes, it was. Now, which one should we follow? The one that had fault or the new one? We ought to be following Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. If you are unfamiliar with the covenants of the Bible, we think you will benefit from our teaching tapes on understanding the New Testament. The word testament and covenant have a similar meaning. These teaching tapes will explain the major divisions of the Bible so that you can easily differentiate the teachings which were given to Christians from those which were given only to Israel. Write today for our list of teaching tapes. Ask for teaching tapes. If you are enjoying this program, please tell a friend. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavoda reminding you to rejoice in the good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.